0: Hey everybody, wanted to welcome you to a new T-Rex Arms podcast exclusive. This is Isaac Botkin. So far I think I'm the only one that's done podcast exclusives. Uh, We would like to change that and uh, I'm doing something a little bit new with this particular podcast. Uh, So far, all the podcasts have been a little bit new. I was really happy to have my son on on the last one. Uh, We've talked about weird stuff that we generally don't on the other ones. Uh, But one of the things that I would love to do with the podcast is introduce you guys um, to various people that you should be aware of. And that is something that we have done in the past. We've done book review podcasts, we've we've built out something of a T-Rex reading list. Uh, when I was talking about uh, night vision and how night vision is made, I pointed you to a couple of night vision researchers that I appreciate that you should look up if you want more information about night vision. Uh, and right now I want to talk to you about a guy named Louis Rossman, who you may already be aware of if you know anything about the Right to Repair movement. And I also want to talk about the, the Right to Repair movement. There's there's a number of reasons why I think this is important, but I also wanted to just take the opportunity to uh, let you know that I appreciate him and a lot of a lot of different ways. now, I will just state right off the bat that this isn't a complete and total endorsement of everything that that Lewis says. Just a quick note on endorsements. The way that uh, the far left and social justice warriors treat everything is that everything is a complete and total endorsement. So if you ever liked anything that Jordan Peterson ever said, then you have endorsed everything, everything that Jordan Peterson has ever said, and everything that Jordan Peterson ever will say, And everything that anyone ever thinks that Jordan Peterson has said or will said, you have to be a hundred percent behind all of those things. And that's not, (laughs) that's not how this works. I can like Thomas Jefferson quotes, even though I don't like Thomas Jefferson, I can point out that there are things um, that people who I deeply disagree with on some levels are doing. and And I actually think that I have a duty when there are people that I don't like, when they do something Good. I actually want to point that out and encourage them, and uh, I think that that's actually far more helpful than just uh, <laughs> just being as dull and monotonous uh, in my hatred for someone as social justice warriors often are, or dull as and monotonous in my appreciation for someone uh, as uh, many people on both sides of the aisle are. So I want to point out that I deeply appreciate a bunch of stuff that Louis Rossman is doing, even though this isn't a complete and total endorsement of everything that everyone is ever going to say about him in the future. I'm not going to put that caveat on every time that I like anything that anyone ever said, but I thought it was worth pointing out just this once. Yeah, social justice warriors like to really play that endorsement card. If you uh, write a book about World War II, you're you're probably pro-Hitler. Not an exaggeration. (laughs) So Louis Rossman is a business owner in New York City. Uh, his, his thing is repairing consumer electronics, especially Apple hardware. Just on the street in New York City, people would walk in with iPods and iPads and iPhones and various Mac hardware, and he would repair it. And over the years, he's gotten a larger and larger following for uh, for a bunch of reasons. And one of them is that he has a business model that is kind of like T-Rex Arms' business model. In addition to providing customer service directly to customers, he also produces a huge amount of free educational material. So he started out publishing a whole bunch of videos to YouTube on how you do component level board repair, which is, it's kind of a weird thing. It's kind of a very niche thing. And in many ways, the videos that the T-Rex produces are kind of a niche thing, but we're trying to provide useful instructional educational content to people and run our business in a very transparent way and uh, serve customers, our direct customers as as well as we possibly can. And those are the three things that Lewis is trying to do with his business. And he's enjoyed uh, a number of, it's hard to know how successful he is just because he's in the middle of New York City. And small businesses are being regularly punished for any level of success uh, in New York City. So it's hard to say how well he is doing, but his YouTube channel has 1.5 million subscribers, and I appreciate what he is trying to do with his YouTube channel. And as his business has grown and as his channel has grown, he's wanted to use his influence uh, to do things that benefit other people, either by educating them or uh, he actually is, has started a 501c3 that uh, is really pushing right to repair legislation. And that's another thing that Turex has done with, with some of our success and with some of our notoriety. Uh, we have tried to do uh, legislative stuff and some lobbying because we actually want to change uh, laws for the better also. So, so I appreciate uh, a lot of that uh, stuff that Lewis is doing. And, uh, and I, I found it very helpful and inspiring uh, just to see the response that customers have or that followers have to a guy who is just really open and transparent about his business And everything that he does in his business, he teaches other people how to do. He's not precious uh, about his techniques. He's actually trying to create a whole army of people who can repair electronics, not uh, just grow his own business. And in doing so, he has been tremendously influential in growing a number of different uh, third-party repair businesses, but also that has grown his own business. And in talking about uh, his business and being transparent, he also talks a lot about New York City. And I find his channel really interesting. So uh, in 2018, I think it was, he was forced out of his, uh, his shopfront by a bunch of the weird and kind of shady real estate deals were going on. I think that he actually had the very last human landlord of any commercial shopfront space in New York City. And that landlord sold, uh, sold the building to one of the giant real estate corporations that own all the real estate in New York City so that it could uh, be renovated and turned into either a Starbucks or a bank. That was apparently what what the plan was with New York. Uh, However, uh, the pandemic happened, and that totally changed everything. So the joke is kind of on the people that kicked Lewis out, and uh, he found another storefront, and his business is still open, and he just has documented what the collapse of New York City has looked like during the pandemic. He'll just record videos as he rides his bike home or as he rides his bike through Black Lives Matter rallies and comments on what the people are actually doing and what the people are actually saying. And in many ways, he is the best reporter of anything that is going on in New York City, uh, particularly from a business level, because he's a business that is still open and still profitable. And so he is a business that collects an awful lot of fines, the various regulatory groups in New York City that are uh, trying, to, trying to make some money, some money off of who is left In New York City, so the way that he is, the way that he has talked about this stuff is actually very interesting and very helpful. But um, the main thing that he is known for right now, the main thing that he is trying to accomplish, is to push the right to repair movement, and that's what I would uh, like to talk about uh, right now. And it's been in the headlines recently, partly because of stuff that Louis Rossman uh, has been doing, and also some various other reasons. But um, I I think that the right to repair movement is ultimately about private property. That's not necessarily what everybody who is contributing to the movement or commenting on the movement thinks, but that is a really fundamental key issue that I think we need to think about when we talk about right to repair. So the right to repair movement basically is pushing back against um, mostly consumer electronics companies that are trying to stop people from trying to repair their own personally owned consumer electronics devices. So Apple is probably most famous for this, trying to stop anyone from buying third-party batteries, third-party screens, third-party anything, and stop any third-party repair guys from actually repairing stuff so that you have to take it to the Genius Bar. The Genius Bar can fail to repair it and then you can buy a new one. I mean, it's slightly exaggerating. Sometimes the Genius Bar repairs stuff. A lot of time the Genius Bar will say that something is unrepairable. People will take it to Lewis Rossman and they will repair it for a tiny fraction of what the estimated out-of-warranty repair cost would be, and then Apple throws a big fit and gets a shipment of his batteries classed as counterfeit devices and seized by border control. That's, that's usually the uh, the way that the scenario plays out. Now, there are a bunch of other players or a bunch of other people in this right-to-repair discussion. The other folks who are generally pushing back are uh, medical and agricultural companies. And those are gigantic companies with huge, massive lobbying power. So this is really interesting to watch. And generally what these uh, larger companies are doing is they're using existing laws to punish mechanics, engineers, repair people. For example, John Deere uses the DMCA laws Um, to stop people from looking at the code inside of their tractors. They they really don't want anyone tinkering with their stuff. They don't want uh, anyone to make any money off of the repairs of their products outside of their own licensed guys, their own dealerships. And this is true in the medical industry as well. The medical industry is so incredibly regulated already uh, that it's pretty easy for the people who make medical equipment uh, to stop anyone from messing around with that equipment. So if you have a patient's bed, for example, which already costs way more than a regular bed should, and it has a really basic motor in it that allows it to move, and that motor breaks, it's very, very difficult to actually, using the existing laws that are on the books, uh, it's very difficult for the uh, chief of medicine or anyone else who is in the maintenance department of that hospital to get that bed fixed, even though what's actually broken is probably a really simple switch or a really simple transformer or a really basic off-the-shelf motor. The, the big medical companies really, really, really want a new bed to be purchased using the big, expensive medical regulation dollars that exist in the big, expensive, overly regulated medical system. Um, by the way, I just realized I have a pretty good guest um, that we could have on to talk about medical regulations and just how the lack of a, an actual free market inside of uh, America's medical system has caused stuff to just get so ridiculously expensive. So we'll try to do that for a, a future episode. Uh, anyway, the, we've got a lot of pushback against right to repair from consumer electronics companies that run their own repair operations like Apple, or these big medical companies, or these big agricultural companies. And uh, generally, their arguments go like this. If if you allow people to repair their own devices, uh, you now take on a massive security risk, because the code is out there. People are tampering with stuff that they don't understand, and it's dangerous. And I think that there's a really good argument against this in just saying that security through obscurity doesn't work. You actually want as many eyeballs as possible on your security system so that holes in the system get found quickly. So the more obscure the electronic devices, uh, say, I don't know, like a a Dominion voting machine, for example, the easier it is to actually find some of those holes because there are fewer people looking for them than if it is uh, an open source piece of software that's out there with a lot of people, a lot of people actually doing security audits on it all the time. Uh, the other argument that they make is sort of greed-based. There's this idea that uh, the guy who wants to make 15 bucks an hour fixing your radiator is somehow much more greedy than manufacturers that want to sell you an entirely new car. Uh, a lot of times they complain that it's too dangerous to let people do this stuff because people will just hurt themselves, or they'll break their own stuff that they already own, which I don't think is much of an argument because I think Apple would actually prefer that you personally break your own phone so that they can sell you a new one rather than a genius bar guy break your phone. So I don't understand that argument. Uh, And then the other one that's a really big one that gets brought out a bunch is the IP theft risk, this idea that there's the intellectual property of the company is going to be stolen if people are allowed to look inside the device. And uh, Louis Rossman has a very interesting video on this, which I will link to in the show notes, And he talked to some engineers that work up very, very high in the world of designing computers and laptops and other consumer electronics devices. They actually believe uh, that corporate espionage is at an all-time high and that there's so much IP theft that's already going on that one of the reasons that these big companies don't want people publishing schematics for the insides of their devices is because it will reveal tons of existing IP theft that has already happened, which is a really fascinating, fascinating thing. Now, we should probably talk a little bit about what right to repair actually is or what it actually means. And to be honest, it's it's fairly vague, which I want to touch on again. But there are some folks out there advocating for right to repair that actually want the government to force companies to publish the schematics for all of the things um, that they have available for sale, uh, which I think is actually outside of the government's uh, responsibility or authority. But it is within the government's uh, responsibility or authority to allow a uh, uh, private people to publish the schematics of things that are publicly available. So let me give you an example that's a little easier to understand. Here at T-Rex Arms, we make holsters. One of the ways that we make holsters is we have a three-dimensional CAD model of a gun and a light, and we use that to generate CNC code, and then we use that CNC code to cut Kydex out on a CNC machine, and then we send that physical holster to people. So we're not sending them the 3D CAD model, and we're not sending them the CNC code that was generated, but we are sending them the physical product, and they can very easily get all the dimensions of that physical product just by measuring it. And so one of the things that that the larger electronics companies are pointing out is they don't want schematics published of how the inside of the board works, even though if you want to see how the inside of the board works, all you have to do is take the computer apart and look at the board and follow the traces and look at the components, and then you can draw up your own schematic of what is inside of the board. It's, it's no longer a secret if you can physically look at the finished public product and see exactly how it works. So the dimensions of a sidecar holster are also not secret because the dimensions are available to anyone that has the physical product and a ruler or the, the T-Rex blueprint shirt. If you buy the sidecar blueprint shirt, that's actually the actual blueprints of the sidecar holster. And you could, uh, you could measure that and you could reverse engineer it. And you can always reverse engineer any product that you can physically hold in your hands. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the company that sells that product has lost all of their IP. Like T-Rex Arms, we still have the CAD model. We still have the CNC code. Um, but that physical product, you can measure it. You can find out exactly how wide it is. And there's, there really is no way that the government should stop you from saying that our holsters are five inches wide when you can buy our holster and measure it and see that it's five inches wide. And companies like T-Rex Arms should not sue you for saying that holsters are five inches wide when they're actually demonstrably, measurably five inches wide. But this is one of the things that a lot of the big corporations are actually pushing back against. Stuff that is very easily measured, very easily seen, very easily documented. They really don't want people talking about that despite how public it is, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this particular topic this week is Steve Wozniak weighed in, and he weighed in on the side of the right-to-repair guy. So if you don't know who Steve Wozniak is, he is one of the founders of Apple. Apple is, again, one of the biggest companies that is pushing back against the right-to-repair idea. And Wozniak is someone who pointed out that, A, Apple was started by people who learned everything that they knew about electronics by repairing stuff, by tinkering, by experimenting, by having the freedom to do all of those things. And that was how they gained their skill set to actually build all of the equipment that they sold at Apple. And he also pointed out that when Apple was selling the Apple II computer, which was for a very long time, uh, their most profitable product before Macintosh, before iPhone, the Apple II was their most popular product. And they published the schematics of the boards and included those with with the computer itself. And that did not uh, negatively impact the sales of that computer. And he brought up another interesting example um, that I really liked. So there used to be one telephone company in the United States called Ma Bell. And Ma Bell uh, ran as a gigantic, all-powerful monopoly until it was finally broken up by the government. Now, prior to being broken up into multiple competitive telephone companies, they had a rule that nobody could connect any telephone equipment of any kind to any of the telephone wires uh, unless they'd bought it from Ma Bell itself. So... They made a handful of telephones, and no one else was allowed to make any telephones, period. They had an answering machine, apparently. I didn't realize this, but Steve Wozniak pointed out that they actually did have an answering machine that cost thousands of dollars, and they only sold to commercial clients. So your options were black telephones, rotary dial, or a gigantic, super expensive answering machine if you were a big enough company. That was the only things that you could get to plug into the telephone system, and you could only buy them from one company. Now, after Bob Bell was broken up and the monopoly was destroyed, a ton of companies began developing different types of telephones, and not just telephones they invented answering machines that worked with regular cassette tapes and fax machines and modems and so you ended up with a situation where there are a lot more phones available, even those really ridiculous Garfield phones. Not a fan of those, but still, you know, it's the free market, so it's okay. But there's way more devices actually connected to the phone network and way more use of the actual phone network. And so everybody wins. The consumer wins. The third-party manufacturers that find a void in a market like Garfield-shaped telephones, they win. And even the service provider wins because of how much more use of that telephone network was actually used, especially once fax machines and modems and dial-up internet started to happen. Now, let's ask a question, because the phone company did, in fact, own all of that infrastructure. They owned the telephone poles and the wire, and they maintained it. So, I do think they should have some level of say into what is done on that network. And I'll give you an extreme example. What if a guy connected his Tesla coil to the phone lines and ran thousands and thousands of volts through the equipment, which was destructive? Well, then I think that police officers could actually arrest that guy and a case could be made that he was destroying private property owned by uh, the phone company and probably also destroying private property owned by his neighbors and possibly also attempted murder if he was blowing up telephones that people were using. Like there's a lot of actual significant serious crimes that you could bring to bear on a guy who did that extremely damaging hypothetical thing but if there were a guy who built himself a do it yourself telephone that had a louder speaker because he was hard of hearing and you know built it to the specs that Ma Bell had written there is no crime that is committed by connecting that thing to the phone lines and giving that guy the freedom to experiment and develop and to make something that makes his life better and to make something that allows him to build a business that makes other people's lives better. These are the sorts of things that you really lose when you have the type of top-down control monopolies uh, that some of these corporations are, are wanting, wanting to construct. So what do I think about right to repair? Well, like I said, it's it's a fairly vague concept uh, at this point. And probably the best thing to do is talk about some of the individual bills that exist. And there are bills that have been floated. Very few bills have actually been passed into law, but there are bills that have been written, and we can talk about what some of those bills do. And I would say that any bill that allows the government the power to force companies to provide free parts Or forces companies to publish schematics for the things they've created. I actually think that that's outside of the government's authority to do. But I I also think that it's really important that we not allow government uh, to be the enforcement arm for big companies who want to take away your right to private property. Government's job is to punish actual theft, uh, not to punish too much competition or too much free choice. So let's talk about a right to repair. And it's a confused issue because it's in the news, people are talking about it. And so both sides of the political spectrum are trying to use this this buzzword, right to repair, as a way to push their own agenda. So there's there's folks on the left who really want right to repair to create a communistic system where the big corporations are forced to give away free stuff. Uh, And then there are Other leftists who really want to uh, use the right to repair um, buzzword to create a system where the government is just bigger and more powerful and has greater control over what companies can and cannot do to consumers. But then there's also people who just want to use this, this right to repair movement to let customers have access to a freer market of repair tools and repair techs, and just have a little bit more autonomy in the world of these gigantic tech giants. So All of the discussion around right to repair is pretty fuzzy and unfocused at the moment. And you can kind of see that when you look at Louis Rossman himself. If you look at Louis Rossman's right to repair legislation that he has proposed around uh, New York City and New England, you will see him being attacked by leftists. As a far right extremist, and you also see him being attacked by the right as a far left extremist, who is being funded by George Soros. So neither side of the political spectrum really knows what to do with right to repair, and the giant lobbying firms for these big medical companies, and these big uh, electronics companies, these tech companies, these agricultural companies, are kind of using whatever tools they have in their toolbox to attack the right to repair guys. And one of the things that makes it easy is right to repair is as I. I said, kind of undefined. Like, what is the right to repair rooted in? What does it actually need to do? And as far as I have been able to study, the right to repair stuff that we're talking about now is only the tip of the iceberg. There is so much more work that we actually need to do in repealing the terrible legislation that allows these corporations the kind of control that they do and allows the government the kind of manipulative power that they have in regulation and subsidizing certain industries and certain companies over others. We need to get rid of all this legislation that undermines private property right to repair is just a tiny tiny glimpse at a huge stack of power that the government has that it really should not have. And if we address right to repair properly, we'll remove a lot of that government power and if we do it wrongly, we'll probably end up creating a more powerful government uh, in an effort to rein in some of these corporations and that's not the right way we want to solve this problem. So right to repair bills, I think are some of them are extremely helpful, some of them are less helpful, But it's important to really recognize what right to repair is uh, in general. I think that it is the right to repair comes from the right to private property. So the right to repair battle feels like it is twigs out at the end of a very large branch. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't fight over the issues that are small twigs. Uh, I think that we need to do that, though, while we remember what the larger trunk is. So right to repair is a little twig growing off of the bigger branch that is private property. And as we fight over this issue, I, I really want us to bear in mind what it is that we're trying to accomplish at a branch level or at a trunk level or at a root level. What are the fundamental rights that are the roots of this tree of liberty that we have? So, Private property is a really important one to clearly define and work towards, and right to repair comes off of that. So as we talk about this issue, which I think that we should, we should try to clarify it around things and really try to use this opportunity to bring actual freedom to consumers, not just in a allowed-to-repair-your-iPhone way, but in a much larger way that restricts government power and that allows for the free market to help people do the things that they need to do. And I really want you to follow up with Louis Rossman, check out some of his videos, uh, understand some of the issues that he is running into, and some of his interviews with different guys who are in the tech industry or in the agricultural industry or in the medical community. Um, those are fascinating videos. And, and I really want to commend Lewis Rossman for wanting to use the platform that he has built as a business owner uh, to be heavily involved in changing the world that he lives in for the better. And I want to really commend him in in using transparency as one of his most powerful weapons. And again, as we talk about different communities and and working together with different people and finding unity, a lot of times I think we over-exaggerate differences that exist, and then we also over-exaggerate the level of unity that we need. So people will say, you know, Isaac Botkin, you need to be more balanced. You should be watching more CNN. I don't think that actually is uh, the solution to uh, my need for balance. I think what's actually really helpful is instead of just reading uh, what various political commentators or various Instagram memers are saying about New York City, Actually, watch some videos by a guy like Lewis Rossman, who is a business owner inside of New York City, who lives in New York City, who is on the ground riding his bike through protests, riding his bikes along the neighborhoods, able to report, hey, this is what the media is saying that the New York real estate market is like right now. But as a guy who is in the market right now, it is not that way at all. That's the kind of additional context information that we need to be looking for as we try to be more discerning uh, about this culture war that we're in or this political fight that we're in or even just knowing what's going on in the world around us. So check out Louis Rossman. And I really would uh, ask that you take some time to really think about right to repair. It doesn't seem like it's a Second Amendment issue, but it is absolutely a freedom issue. And this issue of being able to own your own property is something that is extremely fundamental. It's something that is a very foundational freedom that we need to recognize and that we need to fight for uh, in a clear and coherent way. And I think that talking to folks about right to repair is a phenomenal way to Have some of these conversations with folks who are not necessarily gun people, not necessarily freedom people, but this is an issue that resonates with people because it affects them directly and in a negative way. And this is something that we need to know more about because as this issue is talked about in a political way, this is something that you're going to need to be educated enough that uh, you can take the opportunity to push your own representatives that you're interacting with so you can push them in the right direction, give them the information that they need to vote correctly on some of these bills and some of these issues. And again, use these as an opportunity. These these little fights out in the twigs and on the leaves of the Tree of Liberty, use those opportunities to point people back to the branches and the trunk and the roots of what it is that we are are trying to preserve as a country. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the T-Rex Talk. What are we doing next episode? As always, we have no idea, but tune in uh, Wednesdays for live episodes on YouTube, Mondays for uh, the podcast exclusives. I'm not calling them audio only episodes anymore. They're exclusives. They're special. They're extra. That's it for today. And as always, I hope you learned something.